Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome to the second episode of uh, season two of the Safina Society podcast. So uh, today we're talking about uh, a topic that Alex was just bringing up, and Alex just got up to get a, a chip, I guess. So Alex, oh, there you go. So, so Alex was just bringing up uh, economic. He asked about laissez-faire policy in Medina or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, governance we talked about. Yeah, yeah. Governance. I so he he asked because he's finishing eating that chip. So he asked about. We don't want him to choke on that. He asked about was the early governments in the Muslim countries like laissez-faire? Mm, what's the economic model for them? Yeah. Well, and, well, yeah. no, like the control the, element. Yeah. The, the, how much involvement? How, how overbearing was the government? Mm. So I, I, my answer to that was two parts. Firstly, the 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 prophet's way. Uh, with governance was always whatever is the government that exists as it is uh, as it was. He never actually interfered in any method of governance, right? So in Bahrain they had their own methods. He didn't interfere, right? In other parts he didn't interfere. But if you notice, the idea of revelation is that the law is so public, right, and it's connected with the reason for existence or or, or the you know purpose of life. Right, which is to please the Creator, uh, and have a strong connection with your Creator. So the law is recited three times a day out loud, Jum'ah khutbah. The concepts of piety, purpose of life, and the law are all intertwined. The social law are all intertwined, and what is the result? The result is in a society that has an increased, not total. It's never going to be total. Increased amount of self. Uh, um, What's the word? Self-policing? Self-policing, right? Uh, We police ourselves. And we don't police ourselves just for the sake of the law. We police ourselves because the joy of existence and life and the joy of afterlife is dependent upon following these certain rules, Mm -hmm. right? And when you bring in Islamic spirituality, right, the joy of Islamic spirituality and the, the serenity that people get from that is ruined by breaking these laws, right? So no one wants to see this. So that's one thing. So that's the 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 overwhelming idea the other idea was that the umayyads the abbasids the other rules they didn't they weren't totally involved for another reason which is lack of manpower like they couldn't uh abu hanifa for example imam abu hanifa radiallahu ta'ala uh he was a he he served as uh people used to come to him for for rulings right? right he was not an official judge if you look in his biography he never worked as an official judge there was an umayyad judge at the time right or an Abbasid judge at the time. They didn't go to the Abbasid judge, the official judge. They never went to the official judge, right? They viewed him as a puppet, right? And it wasn't because they were following the nafs and yeah, forum shopping. Exactly. They went to the man that they really believed was the keeper of the religion, Abu Hanifa, right? So that judge was sitting there. Actually, that judge took a fatwa to Abu Hanifa. He said, and he's just a judge. He's just an employee. He's not like he's a corrupt ruler. He's just an employee. He said, Imam Abu Hanifa, he said, nobody comes to me. They all come to you. Is my earning halal? Right? Because I'm literally doing nothing all day. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so that goes to show that... So the, he worked in IT? <laughs> yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So who says IT doesn't do work? Excuse me. Sorry. Maybe in law firms. Maybe in law firms. Law IT guys. As ironic law. as it is, I work for a company that makes law software. So, so you don't do anything? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not true. But, uh, yeah. um, but, yeah. Sorry, so, sorry so for my, the interjection. So my, no question, my question to that is then, you know... And maybe we need to preface this with a little bit of explanation. But is does that mean that you know Islam is like pro capitalism? Actually, know, if it, you want a capitalist type of hadith that people want to talk about, the Prophet peace be upon him said, "I thought about regulating the prices, then I said, leave it to what Allah decrees." So, if you want to talk about regulating prices, right, which is an important issue, right, they're across the minds of the Prophet and. He said, I'll leave it to Allah's and decree. Sheikh, I saw another riwayah where someone came to the Prophet because there was like a, a like there was a, some crop that didn't work out too mm-hmm. well. So the prices were high on that yeah. item because supply and demand, right? Mm-hmm. Adam Smith. And uh, they said, put a cap on the price of mm-hmm. you know the dates or the barley or whatever it was. And the Prophet in that riwayah said, Allah 
decrees these things. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't want on the day of judgment for someone, meaning one of the merchants, to yeah. say something against me that I harm them. I never heard that hadith. Yeah. Mind blowing. And, um, and also the idea of business itself being, if you look at the Sahaba, a completely moral and fine nothing. There's nothing wrong with it. Abdurrahman ibn Auf. Abdurrahman ibn Auf. Sayyidina Uthman ibn Affan, it was said about him that he would be sitting on the member waiting for to start Jummah, asking about the prices, right? Now, he wasn't asking about the prices so that he could buy and sell. He's asking about the prices of things for the well-being of the people, right? Right. So he wants to know the prices. Here you have the uh, Khalifa of the Muslims from the 10 greatest, from the four greatest of believers at the moment in the mosque about to pray Jummah on the most holy moment of the week, and he's asking about prices, right? So in Christianity, you'll never have something like that, right? Right. It is a completely spiritual, otherworldly religion. Islam actually views business, and I think, I like to talk about business. I love talking about business, because people think business is a profane thing, right? Uh, on the contrary. It's the contrary. The best profession, right? From yeah. the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the best the, profession. The Prophet, peace be upon him, said, nine-tenths. Right, nine tenths of the rizq that Allah sends down is funneled to traders, to merchants, right. and I'll tell you why: buying you, and selling, buying and selling, because they have risk. And if you look, uh, there's no inventor who changed the world by himself. Either he was also an entrepreneur, or he tagged on to some entrepreneur. Right? It's business that changes the world. Yeah. Otherwise, that invention would just be languishing yeah. in his. Uh, we call lab. them. We call them PhD theses, right? <laughs> <laughs> so. So is it <laughs> sitting there on a oh, shelf somewhere? Man. So it's only if an inventor, and by the way, people need to know that the definition of an entrepreneur is an inventor who manages to earn a livelihood off of his invention, mm. something like that. It has two parts. You invented it and you made a living off of it. Uh, making a living off of a commodity, right? And not having and being your own boss is not entrepreneurship. I mean, a guy one time was selling sandwiches. Mm. I said, what happened? You changed jobs? He said, yeah, I'm, I, I, I have a, a sandwich shop. I'm an entrepreneur. You're not an entrepreneur unless you invented something, right? <laughs> really? Is that how it's defined? Yeah, I don't I know mean, how it's defined. Wait, wait a second. What Don't about you, somebody who invents something but doesn't make a living off of it? He's an inventor. <laughs> he's an inventor. He's, look, look up entrepreneur. He's the guy from Back to the Future. We got today. We have entrepreneurs. Doc. Doc. We got entrepreneurs, right? Entrepreneurs. So I'm gonna back. Yeah, up. not everybody that runs a business is an entrepreneur. Yeah. I mean, I, although business. I think that's how it's used colloquially. Although you know, colloquially, just, that's how it's used. Like, you know who? I'll tell you how it's why it's used. L- like listen that. Listen to the. Well, Saad is looking up the definition, but you can even hear it in the word itself, right? You're entering, like, it's not like you're entering the sandwich market. Yeah. You're, you're, you're coming in with something. You're opening right. a new industry, right. basically. I, I guess so. And here's the thing. I uh, uh, I, 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 my theory is that a lot of people, you know, founded their own business and they want to feel good about themselves. So they uh, set up. You're a business owner. That's something. Just say you're a business owner. What's the big deal with that? Right? So, <clears throat> entrepreneur. Dictionary definition. A person who organizes and manages any enterprise, especially a business, usually with considerable initiative and risk. Okay. Con- so well, it that, could be a business owner. See? Well, for, yeah, first of be. all, first of all, that dictionary is not the question. Right, here we go. <laughs> 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 I love how he got, he got real defensive. <laughs> yeah. Who said that that dictionary is the be all and end all? Okay. He so, got real <laughs> defensive. <laughs> he was like, that's not the question. <laughs> oh, there's something called an intrapreneur, too. Which means what? An employee of a large corporation who's given freedom and financial support to create new products. That's nonsense. That's wow. yeah. That's some corporate nonsense <laughs> that yeah. they made up. They're like, you're an intrapreneur. Meanwhile, you're like a janitor at the corporation. I think. <laughs> By I, the way, there's a Harvard uh, Business Review. Not article. to diss janitors. You all are doing a very good, you know, uh, pursuit. I actually love janitors. I was yeah, going to work exactly. as a street sweeper it's very humbling. in England. By exactly. The way. So no is, task is above you. This is from a Harvard Business Review article. Are you an inventor or an entrepreneur? and not so this is a quote not all inventors are entrepreneurs and not all entrepreneurs are inventors but for a venture to be successful the contribution of both is required see that but that's different there's an inventor in that that's not the definition of an entrepreneur Uh, yeah that's your interpretation of it (laughs) well but they're talking about evidence by the way they're talking about the evidence (laughs) they're talking about a a business venture like an actual business we're coining a new word today inventorpreneur inventorpreneur (laughs) isn't that just elon musk that's just no. the, that's just like no here's the thing to me business is a very moral enterprise 
because the amount that you could cheat in, right? And honestly, when you mm, look at dishonest. when you look at successful businessmen, some of the best successful businessmen out there, they'll tell you that one of their principles is truthfulness because the buyer buyers are not stupid, right? They could see through when someone's being slimy, right? So they want to see a truthful person. And truthfulness is actually one of the biggest features of someone who wants to be a businessman. And not only is it good for the customer, it's good for you. Because if you convince yourself that your product is good when in fact it's garbage, or you refuse to face the fact when your product is no good anymore, or that you've been beaten, you will lose. If you continue to try to fooling yourself, you will lose, right? But if you're honest with yourself, just like sometimes we're honest ourselves about our episodes, right? And we say, listen, that episode, let's just scrap that, right? Uh, or start over. If you, the more honest you are with yourself, the more successful you'll be in everything. Right. Subhanallah. Now, the the question that I wanted to get to is, and if you're listening, is it means the episode made the cut. So <laughs> 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 we have, we we have like this whole backlog of like, like we, we probably can like B sides. Yeah. Yeah. B roll. <laughs> <laughs> so I wonder if we'll like ever release them. Uh, maybe maybe uh, it'll do it like Disney and like re-release the movies only once every ten. No, years. no, the person who inherits Sad's uh, <laughs> laptop will we'll have access we'll to all of files. our all of our yeah, unedited, exactly. uh, <laughs> unedited, raw, raw and uncut. Yeah. And then I said I would punch him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Hashtagging I was Mom I was gonna say. Uh, then is it the case that you know? Islam, like we we don't have anything against like corporations, for example. If it's a halal corporation, somebody's doing a good there are job certain problems. Like, what what, what yeah, does it become? Like how like? would you what do you, how would you define a corporation? Because there are some things that are totally wrong with the system. Hmm. Well, it's, that's well, but I that's think, the crony well, that's the crony side of capitalism, yeah. right? Yeah. It's the government corruption. You know, it's the buying of regulators. It's the regulatory yeah, capture. Exactly. That's what I was saying. Are you are you at some point you have to make a distinction between corporations as entities and the activities of corporations, right? That some and some even, activities that they engage in, like right? For, that we may not agree with, but and the even whole, the government the idea behind a, a corporation. I mean, inherently, there's nothing. Yeah, there's nothing wrong yeah, with that. The problem is the it. government involvement. Yeah, the the yeah. way governments treats corporations, where people actually corporations commit crimes, are people right? A corporation commits crimes, right? And the CEO gets scot free. Well, in the right? law, that's called the corporate veil. Yeah, yeah. The corporate veil. It's very hard to pierce, which is the, also the term mm-hmm. that they use. Yeah, in just, Sharia, just remove it. Yeah, and <laughs> in, in, in Sharia, the the corporation is not a person, right? Yeah. You who made the decision, you are liable for all the decisions you make. <clears throat> in but Sharia, what, but what about? Um, you know, a corporation goes so large that it starts to affect global, like, you know, national economy, state economy. Like, do we have anything? And is this, like, fine? Like, we have no Well, the, you, ha- you, can, you can have masalah. People can discuss maslaha. Mm. And if the citizenry and the people all, uh, uh, you know, realize and come to realize that there is harm here, right, to the society. So what do we do? We remove what is more, har- what is harmful to the greater, right? So if... The the venture of five people is harming seventy people, right, or a hundred people, and a balanced number of judges all to decide and recognize, right, that that's the case, and there's some majority there. Then, based on maslaha, you can set some rules so that the seventy won't be harmed by the five. I just want to jump in with a clarification here: harm is not defined as they make more money than I do, no, yeah. right, <laughs> right. So like. In quote unquote income inequality, this yeah. is Allah's decree. Yeah, that's all that that is. Yeah, and you not liking it is actually being unhappy with Allah's decree. Mm-hmm. Allah makes a means for you to to seek yeah. your risk, right? Yeah. But your risk is your risk, and so complaining about it and saying, "Well, they're making so much money and I make so little." Yeah, this is first of all it's Allah's decree, and secondly, yeah. Allah gives you how about means to to seek your risk. So yeah. how about like a um some uh something that's perpetuated? Let's say like illegal behavior well i guess i mean that's that that you've already answered the, i've already answered the question yeah. if, you're, if we're saying it's illegal even economically yeah. destabilized so we have the example of mansa musa rahimahullah who was a muslim yeah and went to hajj and he was the wealthiest man the biggest corporation ever right he was the biggest landowner right he was uh he was a a real estate and agriculture corporation in and of itself in himself what, what's he, his name? who are you talking about mansa, mansa musa. musa oh okay yeah and he went to hajj yeah and he brought some ridiculous number of horses, camels, elephants, 
and like people with him. Yeah. All of it carrying gold and just giving it out on his way to Hajj. And he like destabilized the economy. He destabilized yeah. the economy of Egypt and from it took all the like gold that he 20 gave. 20 years to recover. And he actually, what he did is, and I guess he's the king. He, he was a king. He was a malik. He could do whatever he wanted, right? Yeah. He went to the uh, money traders, the, the, the riba people, and started buying back his gold at like a loss. Mm. In order to try to bring things back into, into so, stability, huh? so he cor- he corrected himself. He realized that, and it wasn't business though. He was being charitable, mm. and it also yeah. caused him. So it's not just like right. I'm making money. Sometimes yeah. it's I'm giving money away. And as a little wrong. as a little tidbit fact, I think he's actually recorded as the richest man in, in history. world history. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, unless adjusted for inflation. Also, also discounting Suleiman. Yeah. And yeah, Prophet Suleiman, because he had. If they calc- somebody did a calculation based on the the gold mines yeah. that are attributed. Oh, really? And he would have been like yeah. far above anybody That's ever. Great. But yeah, after him, and this is verifiable. Mansa Musa has verifiable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, like, does that mean that Islam is diametrically like opposed to something like Marxism? Or totally, right? That would be. Well, I mean, the, if you're talking about the idea of controlling how much you can own, right? Or controlling, eliminating private property, and and they promoted atheism, yeah. mm. and also the idea of uh, you know uh, having an upward mobility ladder type of thing, mm-hmm. where everyone's just going to be equal. This idea is totally out of the. And yet, I find it strange. Really, I, I find it really strange if you look at the situation in America today. Is you know everybody's just like you know down with capitalism, down with capitalism, you know. Mm. But you know, literally, like forty years ago, everybody was like the commies. You know, they're commies. Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's ridiculous. I how- think it's all about their situation. They know that they're not going to be. They're not. They're in a, a financial straits, right? And yeah, there are certain, I wouldn't say down with capitalism, but there are certain elements, right? The way the ba- the banks behave well, that's, yeah. is totally different yeah. than the idea of free market trade and yep. whatnot. The answer to those to those people crying out down with capitalism yeah. is to say, look, just learn Islamic economics. Right. And then look at the side and be like, we should eliminate everything that doesn't conform with Islam. And it will address all of your concerns without having to take an ideology that is completely antithetical to yeah. your religion. And, yeah. and it depends on even what you're talking Just about when you, when you say capitalism, right? Like there's unbridled capitalism where... Anarcho-capitalism. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of things that are, that are going on, right? And even, for example, in the early like 1900s, you would have like these large, very large, uh, like conglomerate businesses right like i'm talking about like the rockefellers those types and they would have yeah standard oil and they would have they would be horizontally integrated right they would own not only the oil production but the oil transportation all the all the uh, horizontal industries associated with this and they would often collude as well right they would they would uh fix prices they would operate basically like cartels almost right like uh uh agreements between these companies that would have monopolistic kind of um hold over the market see that that stuff gets gets tricky right because at that point you're not even dealing in like a perfectly competitive environment right like a uh, a single entity can affect the entire economy yeah. at that point and 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 that gets a little problematic and by the way but, oftentimes when you get a corporation that's that big people go oh you need regulation right in fact those corporations are the first ones to want government regulation because the regulations are usually directed to make competition more difficult for smaller companies. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Increase the barriers like they to have entry. Lawyers. Yeah. Right. They have all kinds of uh, all kinds of uh, sly people that yeah. work for that they'll get around any regulation yeah. that you yeah. plus right. there's the concept of regulatory capture, which is too long to explain. Just mm-hmm. go look it up, but it's very interesting. So regulations don't bother the big banks and the big corporations. Yeah. They yeah. bother the the small people that are trying to enter the market. Right. Yeah. And trade, if you look at the early Sirah, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam often uh, directed a lot of uh, attention to where there was a lot of exchange of trade, right? And if you look at the revelation itself, it came to the place where people trade, right? Because where people trade goods is where they intermingle and is the best place for ideas to spread, right? And there's a, say- a saying, it's not an Islamic saying, but it's just a regular saying, the uh, general saying is that where goods don't cross borders, soldiers will cross borders, Right, that's absolutely true. And and the idea of uh, the concept of trading is so such and so integral because it actually forces people to have certain virtues 
that they wouldn't otherwise have. And merchants have certain qualities about them that other people don't have, right? For example, merchants learn how not to offend people. If you're a trader, you do not want to offend people. So I might not want to offend someone just because I need his business, right? However, I'm still not offending him, right? Right. It does certain things, it doesn't matter the intention behind it. Nowadays, we call it customer service. Yeah. It's certain things, it does not matter the intention behind it as long as you're doing it, right? So like what's what's wrong is not doing it. How you do it doesn't make a difference, right? And if you have the intention, then it's good on top of that, right? So uh, merchants have those qualities, right? Oftentimes, I'll tell you, academics and even sometimes scholarship strays from that, from the aspect that they don't always deal with people anymore, right? Yeah. Many, many people in for like academia, let's just say academia, for example, because Islamic scholarship, you're actually not allowed to go off. You need to go and deal with the people, pray with the people, be with the people. Right. That's Islamic scholarship is like 99% of the time has to be public scholarship, right? According to Imam Haddad, in this day and age, it always has to be. It's like fardain for anyone who knows anything to go mingle with the people. But oftentimes scholars are quite rude and awkward, right? You know, they're rude and awkward. A mm-hmm. trader, someone who trades in the, uh, you know, in something, he's more aware of the world more aware of the nature of people, right? He knows how to not upset people. So, so many good qualities come from merchants and traders. And I think that if we remove this stigma, right, that these are just people of the dunya, oh my gosh, he's wearing a suit, look at this, right? Uh, we got to remove the stigma. Also, how do you think you anything we get anything in the world? Yeah. yeah. Like uh-huh. if you're waiting for the government to produce it and then allocate it out to you, like in you know Soviet Russia, yeah, yeah. there's long lines yeah. for like one onion. Like and, 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 let, me, and let me tell central you, central planning doesn't work. From what I know about Turkey and having gone this summer, that it is a flourishing place. Mashallah, may Allah preserve what's going on there. I mean, uh, and uh, it's got a coming middle class of Muslims who are thinking people. Right, it's mm-hmm. almost like a hub for Muslim intellectuals yeah. that they might not be safe in the Middle East or elsewhere. Right. But uh, the basis of it is that Erdogan and that movement, right, that he was a part of, they are middle class people who went into business, right? They first and foremost went into business, and then they used their, their, their wealth to fund educational initiatives, right? And that's what spread, like, it spread it. So who was, who was really, if you want to take the four archetypes that Imam al-Haddad said, the scholar, the worshiper, the ruler and the businessman who's at the head of this move movement right it's the business class right and the way that things get done is if you want a government contract well you're going to give a donation to the endowments right mm-hmm. that's just how it's going to be done you're going to give a donation and then free education the the trip that i went to these people were great at san academy i don't think anyone paid anything right They're like a symbolic 400 bucks you went there for a one month educational trip Room, board, three meals a day, trips all over Turkey, right? Got educated, learned, met so many different imams and scholars, right? Uh, saw so many different historical sites because of what? Because of businessmen, right? Mm-hmm. Because of uh, 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 good financial planning, all right? Planning for the future. So if we remove the stigma, uh, we should really promote uh, people to be involved in businesses. I... Uh, we're all idealists, right? We always have the wagon in front of the horse. Who's got it wrong? We got the idea, then we scramble for the funds to do it. It should always be the opposite. Mm-hmm. Put some kind of financial venture in place first, right? Then you can fund a thousand ideas. Wait, so you're saying every every after every khutbah, yeah, we shouldn't have the board president. Being, they're gonna cut off the lights. Donations, please. <laughs> That's the thing. We yeah, we have the we, hor- right. we got the cart before the horse. We should have we should think about the business the business element first and uh, the financial element first. Then you can think about a million. You know ideas. what really kills me about like Muslim youth. Yeah, and I'm old enough to say youth is like college age people and, and younger. Um, go down with capitalism, spouting Marxist or so, or socialist ideas. Especially if they come from an immigrant Muslim background, like Arab or Desi or something like that. Your parents came here to make money. Yeah. In yeah. a capitalist system. Yeah. Please. <laughs> <laughs> what is wrong with you? Yeah. 
So, Sad, I mean, you got you're in the technology business. I yeah. mean, who who who's the, who's the latest innovator in uh, in your field? I mean, there's a bunch. I mean, I, I guess you could say uh, Nikola Tesla. <laughs> I think Alex mentioned uh, Musk earlier, right? I mean, well, he but he, you're you're in uh, telecom. Yeah, but but is telecom is a very is small. Becoming? It's a very small. I mean, I wouldn't say it's a small industry. They're, they're raking in money. But what it is is that it's a race to the bottom for the companies. For the yeah. customer, it's good, right? Because they're, you know, you're getting like increasingly better deals on like, oh, I can have unlimited data for less less money and all that. But for the uh, companies, it's actually it's it's you know it, it's okay. Not, so it's you're not saying different. it's reached like the commodity phase where it's yeah, just a thing. That's, exactly. I mean, know. that's. I mean, when was the last time you really thought about who your like cell provider was not really like there's just a it's just a pipe right between yeah, you don't care yeah it's just it's you know it's a pipe yeah. your, your device is more important the content you're accessing yeah. is more important but, but you know the who's how you get there is kind of irrelevant you yeah. just know that you pay a certain amount of money every month to this company that that allows you to access yeah, what like you need socks, to access basically. you don't but, care but yeah, yeah. exactly so, so it's, how, it's becoming a commodity type thing how can yeah. i get free government internet <laughs> so here, here's the thing with these make it a utility t-mobile t-mobile was going to do this thing in which they were going to uh make your your, your sort of your deal by the month yeah whatever it, happened to that it is it is it is monthly it's still yeah. monthly i think all of the carriers now are basically month to month you pay so i could just shut it like, off whenever yeah want. exactly i, I think I that, know that that happened it's been several years since i think that happened oh, okay. because people didn't want to be locked into the two-year like you know oh i have to i have to i have to pay you for two years just yeah. just for this so i'm, I'm always fast fascinated you see these brands and in our society in our world uh you know brands are big deals right yeah brands are things that you grow up with you see yep. i'm always fascinated about finding out the origins of brands yeah right so did you guys know that uh you know who the first two major sneaker companies are right? nike no Mm-mm. they're it's, late uh, on the adidas and puma adidas and puma mm-hmm. so you know their story yeah no okay Another so german though right yeah so they're two german brothers mm. the founder of adidas is oh, the they, young, were, they adidas. were brothers yeah, yeah puma's the older guy yeah so it's rudolph dassler and right? adi dassler and Ad- adolf dassler yeah right and then Adolf Dassler's nickname was Addy. So yeah. they had a they formed a group together. Right. They had some kind of a misunderstanding, a fight or something. Yeah. The war broke out. They came back. They didn't talk to each other. Mm. So Rudolf Dassler started um, Ruda, yeah, which is the first two letters of his first first name and last name. Yeah, Ruda. So his brother said, "Okay, I'm gonna you know rival him," and did the same thing, but with three letters, right? Because so if not, it would have been Adidas. Yeah, so he couldn't do that. He couldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. He couldn't do that, so he made it Adidas, right? Yeah. So that's what Adidas uh, is based off. It's actually Adidas, the way it's yeah. pronounced yeah. in German. And then later on, Ruda, they realized it's not really a great name, so let's just on. change some letters, so they made it Puma, mm. right? And it became the cat at the same time. Yeah. So Nike came way later, and people won't even believe the way uh, Nike got its name. Yeah, the Nike guy is a completely non-charismatic guy. The founder, Phil, Phil Knight. Phil Knight. He's a he's an accountant with a great business sense. Yeah, and he's a competitor, and he loves running, right? Yeah. But he's got no design sense at all. Oh yeah, right. So the swoosh was made up made was designed by a girl from yeah. She was an intern. She what? was a her, her she was an intern at a graphic design school, yeah. and he paid her some small amount of money to design this swoosh. Yeah. Um, and then the, it wasn't even called Nike at that point. It was, but before that, it was called like Tiger Sneakers or something. And he <laughs> well, used he to, was seller for, and he used to import shoes from Japan. Yeah, like he used to bring in a different brand Free from yeah. from Japan. It was like I don't know, Anitsuka, something Anitsuka. And, and yeah. did you know what who they became? Anitsuka Tiger. They exist today now, right? Yeah, I think they merged with Asics. Oh, okay, they're yeah. Asics basically. Yeah. yeah, but Anitsuka, I think like in America, it's Asics. Right? Yeah. So you, you, the amazing story that when they were about to be kicked off by Anitsuka, right, or Anitsuka, whatever they call him, uh, he was about to get kicked off as the supplier. So he needed a shoe to to sell because right. he's got these stores now. So uh, he, he told he told one of the factories in Japan just put the swoosh on some shoes mm-hmm. so I can sell them. 
And uh, uh, the factory said, well, you need a name too. You can't just put a swoosh. You need yeah. a name. All right. Uh, so he didn't know what to do. So they had all, all these names and Bengal was one name, Dimension yeah. Six, like ridiculous yeah. names, right? Or really total typical names. Yep. So one guy, he got a call and one of the, the first employee that he ever had, he called him and he said, I actually had a dream last night that you should name it Nike. Hmm. So this came to my mind because this is actually a theological question of namely, like the broader question is uh, the nature of dreams. Just because you have a true dream. Or does that, inspiration. Or, or inspiration. Does this mean that what you're upon in every sense is true? Right? Mm-hmm. Is guidance, yeah. right? Because many, and this is far from the Nike situation, but yeah. many charlatans, right? They get misled about themselves because they have one or two true dreams right. and start thinking they're actually one with God, right? <clears throat> and it has nothing to do with that. But on the other hand, it shows us something else. When people put in an effort, right? This is Imam Abu Hanifa says this in his book on Creed. When people put, uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes to the aid of all people. Right, that he comes to the aid of all people, right, in this life. That's part of his generosity and, and rahma. No matter who you are, uh, if you have, if you've earned it and deserved it and put in the hours, he'll come to your aid. So, if, if when we're talking about Muslims who are doing some work out there and they're thinking, oftentimes, many Muslims think, "Oh my gosh, if my work is not in the mosque, if it's not Islam related, if it's not charity related, then it's not important." Right. Well, here you have example where. A person's, I mean, where dreams come from? Yeah, dreams obviously come from the heavens, right? So the heavens are are in aid of a company that makes sneakers, right? Mm-hmm. Give showing them the path that they're looking for. So a Muslim should take heart in that and realize yeah. that if I'm in a business, right, then it doesn't necessarily have to be that Allah will only help me if I am, uh, you know, in in some, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> selling some sunnah thing. I could be doing anything. Right, and that goes to show you the the great concern and divine love that Allah has for His creation. That He will help whomever is right. putting in effort. Not only that, everything that's halal, and especially the things that are necessary, this is yeah. good to be in business. Yeah, with, right. Like hmm. you're selling phones, especially yeah. flip phones, mm-hmm. or you're selling, um, you know, desks and furniture and places yeah. for yeah. people to. See. All of this, yeah, is important and vital. You can't have a society without. Right. People yeah. who are providing these goods and services. And if you, if someone says to himself, well, what is the big deal people use? Let's say I'm selling shoes or pencils or sneakers or, or, or phones. Someone uses their phone for like a couple hours a day or whatever. How is that affecting their lives? How about how many people your business employs? Yeah. Right. right? And if, you're, if your business employs 50, you know, 50 people, 5,000 people, 10,000 people, 50,000 people, well, those are all also people who have kids. Right. Right. Well, not only that. So phones is a good example. The fact that phones are widespread mm-hmm. means that the price can come down. Yeah. Right. And now that gives access to the poor. And yep. it makes it a practical, or like computers, personal computers, laptops mm-hmm. and PCs. It makes that a useful tool even for a small business. Yeah. And so now they have a communications device yeah. and now they can right. enter into marketplaces. Like it's benefiting the entire society. And you don't have to know all the cogs of it. Just yeah. know that the business yeah. is halal. Don't do something haram. Trust in Allah. Be honest in your business dealings. And seek your risk. Every industry begins very expensive and elite and all that stuff. But give it time. Mm-hmm. All the copycats, right, yeah. come in. And and like you said, it becomes yeah. like a commodity. Yeah. And now everyone has one. And it's cheap. And yeah. we all do great business mm-hmm. now because of these uh, but proliferation. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's the case for that class of goods, right, like commodities. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're not talking about luxury goods, which as the... As the price goes up, the demand actually also goes like up. Like what, for example? Like, uh, you know, let's say luxury cars or something. Oh, something just made in specific, just for that. Yeah, yeah, specifically tailored to, like, the uh, it occupies a luxury class in the product space, yeah, right? Yeah. So those things are, there's a there's a, something associated with the price and the name and all that, and that's no, why those I, things. Yeah. I, I agree that sometimes it's, it's marketing and it's, uh, you know, there's like the there's like sometimes like these bubbles that get created around certain types of products, but this is also a reality that Allah has always. Of course. Ex- so yeah. like for instance, if we want to take it, forget about man-made products, camels or horses. Yeah. yeah. Some horses are qualitatively better yep. and worth right. so much more money to the owner. Yeah. And 
sometimes worth so much that people will come and go, I'll trade you 20 horses for that horse. And you're yeah. like, you're crazy. <laughs> that, and not because yep. they're racing it, yeah. because of the qualities. So yeah. sometimes, you know, you might have a car that it really is such a great car yeah. that you're, it's worth that money mm-hmm. to you, yeah. right? Or any other luxury item. Now, I'm not talking about stupid things. Well, those to me as a man, like diamonds, but I don't know what the benefit is, or I don't know what the right. I can't ask because I'm a man. It doesn't. I don't have any interest in it. You know what? But for the listeners, read up on the diamond industry. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, that's a prime example of the marketing and false. uh, False increase. Like people think diamonds are scarce. They're actually not scarce. The supply is. uh, They use them in industry. Very carefully controlled by a single company. What the, what the diamond De Beers. <laughs> what the diamond industry has proven is yeah. that you can manufacture value and yeah, engineer course. social value. Yep, exactly. But what you were saying earlier is that these a lot of these things are like social markers. The right. thing that is absolutely They're useless. Symbols, yeah. yeah, like the horse is a that's that's from there's, itself. There's right? utility in that. Yeah, and it's also from itself. It's valuable by itself. Right. But when you or that certain type of horse. But when you're talking about like certain uh, cars, for example. Yeah. Like they make it. To be a social marker. Right. That's actually what the product is, yeah. a social marker, like a McLaren, for example. Right. Could have a it's an It's an interesting question, yeah. right? Because, like, I mean, like, neoclassical economists will, will say that, like, everything's value is determined by the intersection between the supply and demand of that good, mm-hmm. right? So, for example, you know, like, uh, I hear this a lot, right, in terms of, like, athletes or entertainers. People are often, like, why are they paid so much, right? Like they, they, they earn, do, they, they do just bringing in that money, right? They yeah. do just plays a game. Like, why does he get paid that much? And I'm like, well, it. because you're watching it, <laughs> because millions of other people like you are buying into they the merchan- merchandising and everything. Yeah. So you know, if you're asking why, then there's your answer, right? Yeah. Like, because they, a couple of weeks ago, you spent a hundred dollars exact, to watch Mayweather, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> if if nobody paid to to watch these things to buy the merchandise, then they wouldn't get paid anything, yeah. right? So it's it's what the market is bearing. It's what the 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 you know the the supply is matching the demand for that that good. Yeah. Um, and that's why uh, one of the economists economic ideas is that today economies are increasingly. Uh, pleasure economies hmm. like you actually it's not even enough anymore to offer utility or function right or comfort you actually need to offer pleasure yeah. you have to sh- because there's pleasure is so widespread out there you have yeah. to be a lifestyle company yeah you have to be like lifestyle thing you gotta even airlines if you think they're competing right it, forget the american airlines they're in trouble but the the <laughs> best of airlines are these government airlines like singapore emirates emirates Right, these these airlines are really competing to massage your feet. Really, they, it's the luxury. Yep. I mean, it's not. I wouldn't say luxury, but the, the idea that I'm traveling and I'm this comfortable and I want to watch a movie, right? And my annoyance, right, is that my chair doesn't go back like an extra fifteen degrees. It's amazing. The only thing that you're suffering is being in the cabin with not without oxygen and being jet lagged. That's yeah. literally all you're suffering. Some yeah. of these airlines are so good. You want the plane to keep going, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so since we're talking about business and stuff, an interesting thing that you can research, uh, the listeners and us, airlines, a lot of them make, are making the bulk of their money now not through selling tickets. Mm. It's what through selling it? airline miles to banks. Oh, really? So they sell like Capital One Chase. or Chase or City. They'll buy like all these bulk packages of miles. Yeah. So then because people... Get credit cards Open specifically cards. Yep. to get miles, right? Yeah. So there's this dynamic where instead of people just buying airplane tickets, they want to get as many as many quote unquote free miles as they can, so they sign up for this uh, Riba card. So you're saying they become banks? Well, essentially, they're, they're M- made, like money. Lenders. Well, no, no, because they're not actually the ones supplying the cards, or the they sell their mo- they sell airline miles. To, oh, they sell the banks, airline miles. Oh, and I then see, the I banks. See. That's like their biggest draw to get customers oh, in to get that card. It's what distinguish- I mean, credit cards are credit yeah. cards. What distinguishes your yeah. card from another one? Yeah. It's how many miles you perks. can offer. The perks. The perks. I see. I see. So, they, so the banks are buying huge amounts of miles from the airlines. Miles that often will never get used. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. So it's kind of like selling, selling stuff that... So then it makes sense for the corporation, right, to buy all their needs, their expenses on that credit card so they could travel with it. Right. Like the corporate trips that they need to take. Right. That makes sense, right. actually. Yeah. So that's there's a yeah. whole it's a whole side of the business that's that's really interesting yeah. and uh, I and, never even knew about. And I think that honestly, if people look at the downfall of the ummah and all these things, I think that at some point we got really sleepy. Like the ummah did not 
we weren't interacting like yeah. we weren't aware and uh, the way some people put it is that uh the umma was on top of everything and then one day it woke up and it realized it was asleep for 400 years right and what is that from actually the wealth that the umma had allowed it to be free from the need to travel for trade Allah. right and that actually kicked off the decay because it's when you travel out of need you go and discover what others have right and you realize if it's good you take what's good from it right yeah. and you come back and you advance with it right? right and if you look at you know look at the early islamic uh what happened it's all travel yeah. you all traveled everyone traveled move yep. so this idea of being relevant right the concept of being relevant is actually in da'wah very important from the element that you can't go off asleep and be be in la la land like some people imagine piety to be you know like uh someone who's making dhikr in la la land and doesn't even know what's happening, what's happening at all yeah. that this is some form of piety how is that a form of piety when it leads to the decrepitude of the rest of your polity right, right? if we all did that It le- and if the leaders did that, then you're going to have a decrepit politics. But when you had, if you look at the greats, you look at Sayyidina Umar bin Khattab, Uthman bin Affan, they knew what was going on in the world. They knew trade. They knew Sayyidina Umar, people don't know, he was 80,000 gold coins in debt when he died, right? Because he was taking on debts himself, right? And he was highly involved in various uh, enterprises, not for his own gain, but for the ummah, right? Mm-hmm. He was highly in uh, uh, in debt as a result. So uh, awareness of business right, has to be, you have to realize its value to life and its value to the da'wah and the overall polity of the Muslims right? in any community, if you think about it. you know, If you want to be influential, you have to create an economy. You have to be an economic beast if you want to be influential. Hmm. You know, Islam in Mecca what happened how did it, how did it become it, it was it was that they were materially had outdone the prophet said materially speaking had outdone abu sufyan right know? and so he had to get he capitulated right he capitulated realizing this this is the winning horse now not that this is the true message the initial entrance of the meccans into islam is that this is now the winning horse in this world yeah. that we live in There's here there's nothing we can do yeah right? nothing we can do then You know, after a while, then the iman comes in. Right. After you keep hearing the Quran over and over, and now all the barriers are down. Now you, you especially Abu Sufyan, he has a whole diwan of poetry and praise of the Prophet. Yeah. So the iman enters. The and Prophet yeah. has no problem with people entering in because they actually have no choice anymore. Mm-hmm. Like it's the winning horse. We're entering in hypocritically or however. By the way, we can't even say that that's what they did. But we're saying theoretically. Right. Theoretically. Right, right. It, it, the outward appearances. Yeah, just, you, you got conquered exactly, and now you're entering. That's the outward appearance. Allah then, changes hearts, however. He changes. Exactly. Yeah. The Prophet says that bring them in, even if the father and the mother stayed like that their whole lives. Well, their kids are coming in Islam, right? right. The kids are grown, born here and then, seeing their mom and dad pray. They don't know what's in their heart, right? And so the next generation will enter in, right? And as Uthman ibn Madhoun said that he was so. Um, He only entered Islam because he was shy from the Prophet, peace be upon him. That's the only reason he entered Islam. He didn't believe it, right? Because the Prophet kept asking him and asking him. He, he had, said, and he he had modesty, no. yeah. And they said, one day I was in the prayer and the Prophet ﷺ recited, right? And this ayah, okay? And he said, this religion covers everything, right? And then he said, Iman entered my heart at that moment. Right, so the Prophet ﷺ has no problem with people entering in for economic value or for otherwise. So you spread your influence through economics and through business, and then the iman could enter people's heart afterwards. Then there's a whole discussion yeah. that could be had. We're not gonna, it's we're not gonna have it in today's podcast, but about the way that Islam spread to Southern India, to, to all Malaysia, merchants. to Indonesia, yeah. Yeah. it's all Africa, West it, Africa. West, it's, Almost all of it is Yemeni traders. Yeah, traders. Who jumped on a boat yeah. and went and did business with people. Yeah, subhanAllah. Yeah. It's amazing. Those people, they didn't have... Those dirty capitalists. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have what they wanted in their homes. They thought it was a negative. It turns out to positive. Yemeni culture is in East Africa, West India, Indonesia, 
The it Bronx. Has, the Bronx. <laughs> Brooklyn. It has spread so far. Jersey, Connecticut. <laughs> Actually, Eng- England even. They went to be sailors in England, right? Yeah. Uh, it has spread so far and wide, right? Mashallah. Because of the poverty in their own land. And even till today, Yemen is very poor. Yeah. Right? And, and if anybody's listening to this, there's, they're suffering especially difficult times yeah. because of their Muslim neighbors to the north. Because they're in a proxy war. Yeah. And their neighbors, uh, you know, these people they're are some of the wealthy northern neighbors. Yeah, the big the, the Zionist, there, which are who are Zionists, they're big Israel supporters. Right. You know, uh, a sign that, that wealth is not necessarily proof of Allah's acceptance. That's today. another very important mm-hmm. point. And because these people, I really just want wonder what it's going to look like when that monarchy goes down, right? When that family goes down, they have built up so much bad karma to themselves. It's actually unbelievable. If you think about it, the amount of bad karma that these people Chick, have. When, I, when we say karma, we don't mean the uh, karma. Like I mean, like the Hindu in, term, bad in credit. the figurative sense. Yeah, like right? in the just, in the cultural sense, yeah. like bad credit, like yeah, like animosity towards them. Right. Yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. The Prophet said, like, "Kema tadinu." Goes around, comes around. Yeah. Kema tadinu to then. As you give credit to others, it'll come due to you. Right. What you are giving to others, they'll kind of come and ask for it from you. So. Sheikh. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, returning to our topic based on what you just said, so the religion itself—it's yeah. a concept of owing and paying, right? Mm. Deen. It's totally an uh, yeah. That's a, it's, it's a it's a transaction with a god. Is the yeah. day yeah of the debt. Deen, of debt. debt yeah. And Allah has an ayah that says, "What is better to do than trade with Allah?" Right? Trade this life, certain things, small things, with this life for eternity in the next life. Yeah. How about this one? For any one of the people out there who is a go getter and a tiger and a killer and you want to make a buck but you also have some iman inside yourself and you're wondering if you're doing the right thing or not well listen to this hadith prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said in a sound hadith in bukhari that the prophet ayub alayhi salam was taking a bath and as he was taking a bath golden locusts obviously in this world there's no such thing as golden locust right it's from allah right locusts that were actually made of gold allahu akbar okay came down upon him and prophet ayub a prophet went scooping them up and took his garment and started pulling them all in his <laughs> garment right because these are gold locusts yeah. they're they're gonna die and he's gonna take them there's gold right free money is raining down on the and, and from the sky allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said ayub am i not your lord am i not sufficient for you this is the thought that comes across everyone when he wants to be a killer and go get something from the dunya, right? And he and then shaitan comes in, oh, no, no, that's just the dunya. Because shaitan wants us all to be poor, right? We're all poor, we can't do anything. Look at Prophet Ayyub's answer. He said, yes, but I cannot forego a blessing that comes from you. Of course. He said, subhanAllah. So what did shaitan do? Shaitan wants to make you think that dunya is sep- like wealth, strength, power is separate from Allah. A prophet Ayyub gave you the answer. He said, no, that's also Allah's ni'mah. Right? I mean, and let's look. Nabi Dawood, alayhi salatu wasalam, a king. Yeah. Right? Suleiman, a, a king. king. And the wealthiest man in history, if mm-hmm. the, if the what's reported in the biblical about his, his mind yeah. from the uh, Israeliyat is true, uh-huh. the richest man that ever lived, mm-hmm. the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasalam, a traitor, Mm-hmm. First a shepherd, then a trader, buying and selling uh, as as an agent mm-hmm. for his first wife, radiallahu anha. And then his best friend of his entire life. Merchant. A merchant and a wealthy one. Mm-hmm. He his relative, Uthman, a wealthy merchant. Well, Abdurrahman bin Auf. An amazing, yeah. like, and somebody who said, this fine that the welfare state exists. Yeah. And this is something that we have to address before we finish, is that there is a welfare state in Islam. Yeah. It's for widows and mm-hmm. the the weak and we have the clear hadiths on those yeah. who really need. Yeah, there's right. a support system. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a safety net. It's not a social safety net for people that are like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I don't want to work. Yeah, but yeah. for like people that really should be taken care of. Yeah. And by the way, the first social safety net is the distribution of wealth. Men double the inheritance of women, mm-hmm. and then the responsibility to take care of the women folk and their family. Yeah. So religious duty. The government doesn't step in until you don't have any male relatives. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, those male relatives are responsible. Like in America, you can go to get welfare if you're like a single mother or something. Yeah. But if 
the father's identifiable, they're going to get him to Wait, reimburse. Oh, we would just siphon it from his account to her account. Right. right. So what happens in America is if the welfare has been paying and then you find the father, he has to reimburse all that was paid yeah. that should have been paid as child support. So in Islam, all the male relatives are in that position. Yeah. So, Including her place of residence too. Right. Yeah, everything. You know? Everything. Yeah. yeah. So... um uh, I, forgot, I lost my train of thought, yeah. but anyway, Islam, yeah, Islam has a, has has a welfare state, but it also oh yeah, Abdurrahman ibn Auf, anhu, who was offered uh, here's a head start, and he said, yeah. no, just tell me where the markets are, and I'll buy and sell, yeah. and Allah rewarded him. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that uh, these types of uh, any system that is stunting people's ability to climb up the ladder, it's really sad to be honest with you. When I, when you look at places like Egypt. Right, it just seems so bleak that nobody has a chance to go up the system anymore. It's so sad. It's actually it's like a punishment. It's uh, uh, something that destroys a man's confidence in himself. Right, it breaks him down, and then how can he be a, a doer of good in anything? And almost right? all the responsibility for that, by the way, lays in the hands of the corrupt government. Yeah, it's corruption and theft. It's mm. really just theft, right? And so the idea of uh, the concept of business to me, I actually love the concept of business. I totally don't think it's like, oh, just do No, it depends on your motive, right? It's all depends on your motive. Yeah. And your motive doesn't, some people say, I'm doing this job for the sake of Allah. I always wonder, you don't really need to utter those words right. at the same time. If you just do it. Yeah. If you're just doing something good, Imam Ahmad said, a man came and said, I did it for Allah. Imam Ahmad said, just say, I wanted to do it. Right? right. <laughs> <laughs> Say it was something inside of right. me, right? Yeah. Just like Quran says, Hajatan fi nafsi Yaqub yeah. which is something inside the breast of Yaqub that he wanted to do. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Just say that, right? right? And then if it's good, Allah will reward yeah. you. Right? The good of it. You know, like you're creating jobs, you're doing right. some benefit, Allah will yeah. reward you. Providing for your family. Yeah, yeah providing exactly. For At the very basic. Right. So. By the way, so I'll close it with this. Everybody knows about uh, Carnegie. This yeah. is the correct pronunciation. Robert Barron. Yeah. Huge yeah. industrialist. Employed child labor and broke unions and all this. Also the biggest philanthropist of his era. Right. right? Yep. Yeah. Like Same if, with a lot of those guys. Yeah. yeah. Like you can't you can't and, and it's not excusing anything he might have done that was wrong or haram yeah. or harmful to people. Right. But the truth of the matter is everybody who says he oh, benefited we need, a lot of people. You right? have to, you can't get charity if nobody's getting rich. Yeah, right? that's true. Right. Yeah. So absolutely. Yeah. I remember in, in Fox News, we can wrap it up right here, but yeah. I was watching one of these clips on Fox News where the girl was saying that the government should pay for all of our education. Okay, hmm. So the guy, the reporter, is an older man, and he's just thinking about, I think, common sense. And he's like, okay, if all of the rich, we take money, and who's who's how are the government going to take that money, right? She's like, they're going to take it from the rich, right? She's like, okay, if we do that for a couple years, the rich won't be rich anymore. Right? So how does the system work? And nobody has any incentive yeah. to become rich then. Exactly. Right. And then uh, she says, well, that's up to the government to figure that out. <laughs> it's like a simple mathematical equation, right? <laughs> yeah. That's, just, so, that's, that's not a solution. That's yeah. just kind of offloading it's ridiculous. The, the problem to a different entity. Like exactly. they, they got to figure so it out. So the worst possible, yeah. like right. the least the efficient, efficient, most yep. corrupt, exactly. most easily corruptible, yeah. self-interested group yeah. of people that right. ever existed, the people who want to be elected to rule over you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? And I'm yeah. sorry, Oftentimes I know that... the least qualified to do so. In yeah. a, in, in, inshallah, in some future, we can talk about the fact that common people are very political nowadays and what a, what yeah. a, what what that indicates. But yeah, I, the reason I asked the question, Sheikh, about the, the form of government in, in the early Muslim Ummah is because I have this concern about the way that Muslims really are just like, we turn to the government for everything. We want rules for everything. We want laws. And, yeah. and I, inshallah, will be able to turn to one another and to yeah. Allah first. Inshallah. All right, everybody listening. Um, that's a wrap. Inshallah, join us next time on the Safina Society podcast. Jazakallah. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk.